Hello and welcome to the Friday Chill Out. It is Friday. I am Tristan Rayner coming to you from Berlin once again. And co-host Martin from Techartar and the Friday Checkout is here. Martin. We're both in Berlin. It finally it finally happened again after what feels like many, many years. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, are you enjoying the heat of Berlin? It's like already 30 degrees uh, in the start of June. It's kind of weird weather. I mean, we were spared the heat until now, so it's fine. I feel like summers can be hot as long as they're not, you know, lasting six months. So uh, <laughs> I'm happy to have a bit of hot, bit of heat. <laughs> Martin, so a special opening today because this is the finale of season one of this podcast. So um, I think the good news for everyone is you have a ton of videos to make. So there's going to be loads of stuff coming. Um, and uh, yeah, I we will um, keep working away on the checkout. Um and uh, I, I don't know if you've got any Nebula originals coming out, but um, I keep watching them. And uh, I don't know, have you seen Wendover's... It's not it's not brand new. I think it came out like last month or the month before, but Wendover has the Logistics of X series. Um, and yeah. I, it's, I just love knowing how stuff works, but like, not like... I like the operation side of things. So like, did you watch the Logistics of Ski Resorts? That's awesome. Really cool. Uh, I watched it, but I can't remember the exact details already. But yeah, like he's very good. Yeah, yeah there's just, so much good Nebula stuff lately. It's, it's yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah. Um. So there's plenty. There's plenty out there. Um. And for us, we have quite a bit to talk about. Obviously, um, the big Apple event happened this week. Um, and you and I are isolated from the Apple PR machine, where we can say do whatever we want. Um. Which is which is a genuine thing. Like if you're somewhere close to the Apple event, you're actually more limited than if you're not. So in a lot of ways, you can actually say fewer things than than uh, people who, like us who are just looking at it from the outside. Yeah. Um. And uh, I mean, I, I want to talk about uh, some of the hardware stuff. Um, why Apple can keep getting away with things that other companies definitely could not. Uh, Zuckerberg's kind of weird response to Vision Pro. Um, I think which is really interesting. Um, we've also got a little bit of Honor chat, um, Honor, the smartphone brand, uh, a little bit later. So, Martin, let's talk Apple hardware first. Um, and I think like this is kind of the perfect time to talk about it because you get lost in the announcements and like the first waves of like, wow, cool, new stuff, and you're like totally overwhelmed. And then you start thinking about it, where it all fits and sort of sits. Um, right. So I think this is not very revolutionary to say, but the quick winner of the new Macs is obviously the MacBook Air 15 inch i think it's the easiest instant success a lot of people will buy it a lot of people will like it it's a good product i agree yeah um the second winner from that is that apple took its most popular mac the 13 inch m2 macbook air and then cut its price by 100 bucks so i re- i uh, you step back from that you like, oh, that's actually a pretty good deal like what was already decent is now really good um and i guess with the 15 inch now you didn't ha- previously you had to buy the 13 inch or pay you know like a thousand dollars more to get the 14 inch macbook pro or the 15 inch macbook pro so they've really cleaned that up um but i i'm not i'm less certain about the pro side of things um i think the mac studios that were announced seem fine and seem good and very advanced but the mac pro i don't think was very good um uh like i'm not going to buy one because it's six thousand euros but oh six thousand dollars it's starting at 6,000. Yeah. Okay. The ones you'd want are probably much higher than that. Maybe. Right. And I mean, well, let's, let's talk about it. So um, 
did you? I mean, do you want to say anything in particular? But I, for me, the new Mac Pro has the same case as the Intel model. But with the M2 Ultra inside, you could see how much space there was. It's weird. You have all these PCI slots, but you can't upgrade the GPU or RAM. So, Which is the, the number one thing that you'd want to put into a PCIe slot. Yeah, yeah so you can add yeah, it's storage. Like, it's like basically a Mac Studio, except they put it into this gigantic case. What seems like 80% of the case is actually empty, and it's just uh, space for PCIe things that you could put into there. And I'm sure that there are some people who want uh, the power of a Mac Studio and PCIe expansion. But uh, yeah, it, it seems like kind of a strange device in the way it has been delivered. Like they, they uh, were rumored to bring out an even more powerful chip for this machine uh, versus the M2 right. Ultra that also goes into the studio. In which case, maybe this would have made sense. Like this would have been a real differentiated product compared to the studio. But for now, this is like a studio, except slightly weirder and way more niche. I think that's a pretty good point. I feel like maybe they, I think there's two, there's two things going on. One, they just didn't want to keep offering any product with an Intel CPU. Exactly. Uh, and so they went, maybe they did go for this giant CPU thing, uh, SOC that you're talking about. Um, but I don't know. I'm kind of sad because I think this, maybe this is weird, but once upon a time, like buying Apple's highest end desktop was kind of like a, a peak event for your life. It meant like, you know, you, you win the lottery you buy a Rolex, you buy a Ferrari, and you buy the like the highest end Apple gear. Whatever most expensive Apple <laughs> thing you can get, yeah. But it's no longer. It, I don't think you feel like it's any sort of like premium device, like that that commands respect anymore. It's like no, you should have just got the M2 Ultra Studio, that little one, you know, that little box that's actually probably Apple's most advanced computer. I mean, I think it's it's still very impressive, and like the chip is going to be super performant and like if you if you're doing the right things on it uh specifically working with final cut or logic uh-huh. or whatever like it's still going to be amazing uh but yeah it's just it just seems like a slightly confusing concept i mean the the, the interesting thing that i find is that apple is kind of trying to do a very uh, big and difficult move with their Macs, which is that they're trying to convince even the pro uh, users and gamers that you don't need an nvidia graphics card mm-hmm. or actually mm-hmm. a dedicated graphics no card this is an important with, point this is an important point yeah uh for what used to be like that that's kind of the where the nvidia crown jewel is right that if you want to do 3d rendering or if you want to do simulations or if you want to do really heavy gaming you want to have an nvidia card um and apple is saying actually our SOC has enough performance uh, to compete against that. And I think that's uh, maybe the right move because if they can keep scaling the SOC further and further, then you can potentially take on like the last remaining stronghold of Windows. Um, But the question is uh, whether the SOC can keep up and whether uh, Apple can create like a GPU layer, like uh, a software layer, uh, like NVIDIA has done with CUDA, um, that actually allows uh, a lot of these workloads to run efficiently on it. Um, and I think the answer to that is not clear yet. So if they succeed, that's going to be a huge deal because uh, kind of like, if you think about it, NVIDIA having built this CUDA empire where all the software and everything is optimized for their software layer, uh, their GPU uh, uh, software layer, means that Everyone until eternity, we thought we'll have to buy NVIDIA cards basically because, you know, like that's what your software is optimized for. Uh, If Apple can pull off uh, all these manufacturers, all these software developers 
optimizing their games, their uh, CAD software, their their professional whatever uh, visualization software for Apple's GPU tech, then theoretically you could end up with a situation where uh, you'd be stupid not to buy a Mac because that's what everything will be optimized for. And so um, yeah, it's, a, it's a risky move. I don't know if they'll succeed, but uh, it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really really nice point. Um, yeah, Nvidia's stronghold is is really interesting, and um, I mean, there's already a group of people who sort of have to stick with a Mac for for certain tools and for um, uh, their um, the you know workloads, I suppose, uh, and growing that to be bigger and to be bigger and more scary to Windows is is it sort of like creates I don't know when you see the elite using like the elite pro people who develop everything and create everything using Macs all the time, it sort of creates a bit of a halo effect, I think. And that's been an obvious thing for Apple for so long. Exactly. They have like a, a niche carved out for them in the creative space and in a lot of these spaces. Uh, and I think if if like all of basically software development and like visualization and 3D and all the high-end workloads went over to Mac, or at least were as viable on the Mac as they were in Windows... I think that would be quite tragic for Windows because then it would mean that basically all the premium use cases would migrate over to Mac and then Windows just becomes this low-end, you know, p- people who want to have a $400 machine and don't want right. to uh, buy a Mac. Right. That would be the last thing that you'd want Windows for. Yeah. That's actually quite a, quite a risky place for Windows to be as well. Yeah, and then they get their lunch eaten by Chromebooks and whatever. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um. All right. Uh, any other thoughts from the Mac lineup or sort of the non-vision uh, releases? Um, I don't have too much to say about iOS updates and watchOS updates and whatever. Um, you know, I th- I feel like what what we saw is like okay, more little it's changes. Yeah, it feels like feels like a yearly uh, upgrade. They're all good. Uh, I thought all the OS upgrades had nice features. I think the call screen, the fact that you can mm-hmm. customize how you look to people when you call them is going to be either uh, really, really cool or also going to be misused in a lot of ways. Like people are going to troll so many people with <laughs> a weird ass profile picture and then calling them. Yeah. Um, so like the ability to set what photo should appear to somebody when you call them is, is either <laughs> cool or potentially uh, ready for misuse. I actually hadn't thought uh, of the misuse. So good, good point. <laughs> yeah. You just like, pop up a picture on somebody's lock screen at at will <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's gonna be some safeguards and stuff but uh yeah that that seems like a an interesting move yeah and on, on the same point I, I did like the um and i was just like oh yeah this is coming to android as fast as google can figure it out um where the idea of like you still need to ask someone their number and they have to either type it into your phone or like you ring them still like being able to sort of tap your phone on someone and have their contact and like have their photo or something associated with them yeah um basically nfc tap two phones to each other or they call it airdrop or what is it name yeah, drop yeah. or whatever and then like your contact info syncs over but yeah fine. sure good. great yeah yeah all these things good uh, i think nothing revolutionary no, uh, the Macs no. were the interesting part, and then of course the Vision Pro. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, talking of the Vision Pro, so a bit tricky for us because we we dived into the the tech side of things in the checkout, um, which I'm, and I think there's some really interesting, really interesting stuff there about micro OLEDs, um, and, and, but possibly more so like the way Apple is trying to infer what you want from your brain signals without trying to dig into your brain too far. Um, it's like the step between now and Neuralink 
So we don't quite go into invasive surgery yet, but we're trying to essentially get a lot of the same information just by like observing your biomarkers from the outside. Yeah, which is which is perfectly clever and interesting. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, it's very possible that Apple is tracking me this closely and it's going to know far more than anything I'm, you know, like, am I using my headset in G-rated or not G-rated ways? Apple will obviously know this based on so many of your, um, so much of your bio data being watched and inspected and tracked. Mm. At the, and so, um, yeah. And this, this poses the interesting question of, uh, is this inevitable? In the, in the same way that, you know, our phones and the internet knowing everything about us uh, that we have online is kind of just happened and we all went along with it. And so like the next obvious evolution of technology is that since it sits on our face and like, I guess like the Apple Watch does this to some degree already, but since it ha it like sits on our face and collects all this information about us, that it's going to know everything about you anyway. And so in that case, uh, if it's kind of inevitable, you want to have, you want to really have a company that you trust doing all of this, in which case uh, Apple is going to be, uh, that's going to be like a major thing for Apple uh, as a selling point. Uh, or is this not inevitable? And will users rise up and say, uh, I don't want you to track this and track that and GDPR uh, 3.0 will come out and then they'll, <laughs> there'll be cookie boxes everywhere. And uh, actually, Apple is kind of uh, getting ahead of themselves because they're so comfortable. If you think about it, like I've always said this, that Apple is it claims to be a very privacy respecting company, but that does not, ex not, not extend to them not collecting every single bit of information about you that they can. So they have all the information. They have as basically as much info about you as Google has or as Facebook, probably even more than Facebook has because they have device level access to everything. Uh, they just say that they don't use it in a nefarious way. So I guess that's kind of the very comfortable position that they've been in, that they can both have their cake and eat it as well. They can have all the information about you and still claim privacy. And so I think that's what they're trying to apply to the headset as well. And I'm not sure if it is the same. I'm not sure if people will feel the same about, you know, a company tracking your pupil dilations <laughs> to, to, yeah, to I think things out about I think it's like a two-step process. The first thing needs to be like that you agree to like you at least know what's going on, so you can be like, okay, fine. You know, if I, you know, like if if I'm gonna be a VR racer and I get into a pod, I want it tracking everything so I can be the best possible gamer I can possibly be. But like if I'm sitting at home just just chilling out, do I really want all this to be tracked? Um, and I mean, this is yeah. this is the point that we were sort of hinting at, which is like when Apple does it, it's good and it's fine. And it's well thought through and it's kind of clever. And when Zuckerberg or Amazon does this kind of thing and people find out that it's tracking you, it's weird, it's dystopian, the vibes are off, you know, there's a lot of problems. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if Apple is using this to make basic interactions better and you can literally choose between like, okay, track me, make it better or don't track me and then feel how it feels without any sort of like data being used and it's really terrible then people you know, the default will be yeah do whatever you have to do i just want it i just want the best experience possible so yeah um it's a nice most box likely, most likely people will just accept anything yeah yeah um and uh i think you make this point in the checkout as well which is like if once apple does it and it's okay then the likes of Google and Samsung and so on can do it as well and be like, well, hang on, Apple's doing it. Like, we're not doing anything yeah. new here. So, 
Apple's created a nice little path pathway here for the for the industry. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you think about the headset overall? Um. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely uh, impressed more than I expected. Um. It sounds like so probably. Okay, I, I don't know if you watched videos or if you uh, read stuff, but the last thing I read, which yeah. was from John Gruber on Daring Fireball, kind of gave me the most perspective on the on the matter. It sort of was a long blog post, um, and uh, probably the most interesting thing. I'm actually just going to see if I can find it and quote it for you. Is like, um, it doesn't look like you're looking at screens inside a headset, so it looks like reality, um, but maybe like just wearing a pair of safety glasses or something. So. One of the interesting things is he says, uh, your field of view through Vision Pro exactly matches what you see through your eyes without it. Um, so, like, it's it's uncanny almost. You know, like, you, you take it off, you put it on, and you don't see anything, uh, no distortions, no slightly wider angle or telephoto or fisheye or whatever. Um, and the only thing he says so is... He doesn't say that the field of view is as wide as that of your eyes, but rather that the proportions are the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he actually okay. says the field of view seemingly exactly matches what you see naturally. So, I don't, I don't think that's the case from everything that I've heard. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> but I've also definitely heard people saying that you you can definitely see that this is a screen. I mean, it's a good screen. I think. Look, I think, uh, and and you can continue in a second. But uh, I think there is a sense of uh, discovering a new technology, and then if you have like a very brief moment with it, <laughs> it initially seems like magic. But then if you use it more and more, like with everything else, the human uh, perception is very good at figuring out what is a machine generated thing and what isn't. And so I think with, you know, like you see a new computer game, you're like, wow, this is so realistic. And you start playing it and you're like, oh, obviously, this is a computer game where you see like AI generated art or like, uh, you know, it, it, everything is like 95% there. But the last 5%, you do notice when you wear it for more than yeah, 10 yeah. minutes. But, and I but, think... Sorry. Keep, no, keep no. Going. I think part of this is is also like, you know, if you're an Android user and you use all these products, you lose, you use the latest flagships, you, you know everything about what's what's happening, and then you get an iPhone, you say, oh, all this stuff's in these in these other devices, and I've seen it all before, and I'm not that impressed. But if you put on, and so the opposite is, you put on a VR headset that you've never really, you don't really use them, and you, this is suddenly the yeah. latest jump, and it's such a jump for you that you say, oh, like, holy hell, like this is the best thing ever, and I think Apple's counting on that for a lot of people. That's that's right. Uh, well, look, I think it does seem qualitatively different than uh, basically anything else that's been on the market so far. There are some headsets that have uh, recreated or cre have created some parts of what Apple is doing before. Like there's this big screen uh, a headset that has, for example, micro OLED displays, um, same resolution. Uh, so theoretically should be just as sharp and just as good. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that Apple's is isn't new but uh, for sure for for somebody especially who isn't like in the details of like trying out every bleeding edge thing on the market and like making this mental model in their head well they take out the display for from the best display one they take out the field of view from the one that has the best field of view and they just combine this into like these are the things that are possible in vr then maybe to this kind of person uh um it will be like a completely new experience because it's all put together, it's all a relatively nice package, and it is a qualitatively uh, new thing. Plus, they haven't seen all the other stuff, so it, it is like a magically big jump, I guess. 
Yeah, and, and it makes sense that Apple would just say, let's put all the best stuff in here. Let's charge a fortune. It doesn't matter. We just have to impress people. Like, that's the main job of Gen 1 is to make people go, oh, wow. Yeah, I do, I do wonder about this. You know, um, I, was, I was saying this as well in the beginning, and I, and I agree that uh, Apple did the correct thing probably in do, in producing a headset that nobody else can produce, right? Like nobody else can make a $3,500 headset that um, they're going to sell in large enough quantities to justify all the R&D and all the expenses and all the fit and finish and polish and everything that Apple... Nobody else can do this. Not, Meta can't even sell a $1,000 something dollar headset and have people actually accept that price as anything but crazy. Uh, and and the companies like Big Big Screen VR, they sell in such small quantities. Mm. It's, a, it's an uncomparable product. Um, but I was thinking that uh, and I think we'll get to this with the meta, uh, with Mark Zuckerberg's uh, response to this whole thing. Um, th- one of the questions in VR is uh, content and and all these companies making like things specifically for your platform. Uh, and Apple has not shown off a whole lot of uh, software that was specifically made for this headset. Like most of the demos that looked the most interesting to me were basically FaceTime, which was like a floating FaceTime window. Um, it was, uh, you know, being able to run Microsoft Office uh, in a desktop environment and being able to scream, uh, stream your Mac display to the headset. How, so dare these are you, not... how, how dare you be excited by a Microsoft Office on headset? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, th- I think the concept that you have a really sharp VR display, which finally text looks good on, uh-huh. uh, and you can actually use this as a monitor replacement, that is an exciting thing to me. Uh, but but the point is that there was nothing else that was exciting. Like, there were no 3D games. There are no VR uh, movies. There, like, it, like, the content doesn't exist. And because you sell something for $3,500, uh, I think that there's a chance that not a whole lot of content will exist for a long time because there's just such a small user base. Uh, and you will not have um, the chance to actually use social features because nobody will have the headset except for you. Like, even if you buy it, you can't convince your friend or your grandma to buy one of these. So, um, so obviously, this is Gen 1, but I think that's kind of the limitation of this strategy. So, so where I feel like, again, John Gruber pointed me to... Um, something really interesting was that uh, he saw two sports demos um, and I hadn't seen a lot about this from anyone else uh, beyond, like in, in this much detail anyway. So he went to a baseball game and um, it was kind of like super realistic. You could choose where to to where to look and where to see. And I've seen that in VR before, like Samsung's tried that in the past, I think with the court side of the NBA. But uh, And baseball was okay. But the the NBA game, you were courtside, but you're behind the basket, but you actually had a slightly elevated um, position. And then he's saying that the scale was perfect. So you could actually see these basketball players actually looking like enormous basketball, enormous basketball players. And so um, it, like his, his words were, it was incredible. And I would genu- genuinely consider buying a Vision Pro if the one and only thing it did was showing entire sporting events like this. Now, that's not going to happen because Apple doesn't have the rights, except it is broadcasting MLB, I think. Um, I can't remember the exact status there because I'm not obsessed with baseball like I might be in some other sports. But th- these are demos. But th- that idea, I think, is pretty attractive in, in in a use case that I hadn't necessarily thought would would actually be like demonstratively better. So I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to judge a demonstration versus like, 
you're actually sitting there for an entire game watching this sort of heavy, sweaty headset um, and ignoring your entire family trying to play around you, you know? Yeah, my, my point is that, like, like maybe one or two niche use cases exist yeah. where content is specifically made for this platform. Although, as you said, even that is, like, depends on a lot of licensing questions that are unanswered. But... Um, I don't think the kind of content ecosystem exists that you would want to have from a headset that is this expensive. And I think uh, the approach of someone like Meta is to say, go for the masses, get 20, 30 million people who have this headset, and then that platform and those numbers are actually something that is worth developing for and that is something that is worth uh, licensing content to. And uh, and you can expect that there's like a network effect where like your friend has an Oculus, so you have an Oculus, so you can do video calls and whatever. You can play games together. And, and I think that is the thing that you're missing if you're not going for the low end. Again, yeah. I don't think it's an incorrect strategy because Apple had to put out something that feels qualitatively different from everything that's out on the market. And they, they've done that. But I think they run the risk of kind of boxing themselves in on the, the high end a little bit, at least for the beginning. Yeah, so that that's kind of what um, what Zuckerberg said. So he had a speech to Meta staff, or, or he sent an email to everyone, uh, and basically it was transcribed by The Verge, and you can you can see that around the place. But um, So first, first Zuck said, like, the good news is for them is that Meta had looked into all the tech in the Vision Pro, and Apple didn't do anything that they hadn't seen before or couldn't have done themselves. Uh, and there was a good line in there that the Vision Pro is seven times more expensive than a MetaQuest, requires so much energy, you need a battery and a wire attached, and they'd, uh, you know, with Meta's approach, they'd sold ten, tens of millions of Quests or Oculuses, as you said, um, with, and uh, they're already at Gen 3. Uh, so they have a lot of sort of runs on the board is is way to, is one way to, I don't know if that's an Australian way of saying things, but, um, but where it gets a bit more tricky is where, Zuck said the following, and I'll quote this. It's a nice line, but it doesn't really make sense. So <clears throat> he said, by contrast, every demo that they showed was a person sitting on a couch by themselves. I mean, that could be the f- the vision of the future of computing, but like, it's not the one I want. So he said those exact words. So um, this kind of, I, let me get into like two things here. So Meta is kind of saying, Zuckerberg saying, the metaverse is all about interaction for it, whereas Apple's sort of mixed reality experience. And, and specifically social interactions. So like- right. VR should be social. Right. And so Apple's experience that it showed was mostly um, content that you're enjoying by yourself with your sort of multiple 4K displays in your headset and maybe you're beaming into calls or work stuff. But um, yeah, I I, I don't really get that because Meta's headsets isolate you a lot more, much more. And any demo Meta would have shown from the same perspective would have looked probably worse. Um, The point that maybe he's actually making is that Zuck doesn't want people to have to pay $3,500, which means really like the only the very richest few percent of the world, you know, like we're talking the entire world. So like the billions of people who are on very low wages, but like, like we're, we're really saying it's a very small number of people that can buy this and we're, we're completely, Apple's completely fine with this. So we're happy with making it limited where at least the cheapest quest is something like $289. So you can join in a bit cheaper. And I, I get that, but, um, yeah, I, I thought I thought Zuckerberg's sort of pitch was a little bit incoherent and someone posted Steve Ballmer reacting to the iPhone when it first came out in kind of the same way, like, you know, not the same way, but echoing. 
and yeah. yeah i don't know you can always you can make it always make an analogy like that which is either true or not true depending on the the, the specific circumstances i think i think the part of uh mark's uh comments that actually spoke to me is something that i already kind of alluded to which is i i do think i do think that uh apple sees this headset as a content consumption device it's they see this as like something like an apple tv whereas uh whereas uh or they see it as a device that delivers apple tv to you basically and apple arcade games primarily whereas uh Zuckerberg sees this primarily as uh, something that delivers your social feed to you and your social interactions <laughs> to you, because that's the the core of both of the companies. Mm. And that's what they're both comfortable with, right? I don't think Apple wants to build a social media network, uh, and Apple is probably going to be very limited with what social stuff they allow, uh, in, because they don't want to have all the problems with moderation and like figuring all of this out. Um, and I do think that if you if you say that social interactions are the most important part of VR, which there's a chance that they are. I don't know if that's true. Maybe we just want to have, you know, like our computers um, in VR. But if social interactions are the most important part, then price is a quality of its own. You know, like the fact that people can afford it and people are on it is a quality of its own. The fact that Facebook is free and the fact that uh, YouTube is free is why pe- people are on it and it's why the network is so powerful. Uh, and so if if that's the if it's true that social interactions are the most important part of this then the the um meta approach to this is not necessarily the incorrect one yeah i and i think that's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out and how how hate how these companies hate each other and how that will affect the development um probably to our greater loss the the thing that I also find very interesting is that Mark says that they've tried all of this before and none of it is really interesting uh, technically or none of this is very breakthrough uh, technically. I do wonder if that's true and how much mm. of that is true because yes. I can imagine you know like Meta spends billions and they have huge VR labs they have very talent they've they've like hired every talented person they could from every company that they could a lot of microsoft people from the hololens team a lot of google people who left it so so i'm actually sure that they have tried all of this before whether they've gotten to the same degree of uh, fidelity and uh, performance that apple has i'm not convinced about because i don't think for example they have the m2 chip that can power this whole thing conveniently um and they have some limitations uh, uh on the hardware side that that apple doesn't have um but a lot of the stuff we know now that like micro OLED displays and like these really uh, cool pancake lenses that are super thin, these are on the market. They're just expensive. And so it doesn't make sense to use them uh, if you are going to sell a device for $500. I've just seen a demo um, of basically they have these 140 degree pancake lenses, which are really wide to begin with. Uh, that's going to be like the next gen uh, VR optics. And then they also add uh, like a second set of uh, lenses on the sides of each to extend your vision to, I think it was 240 degrees. So at that point, you really do feel like you are looking like you have this like surround uh, vision of uh, VR uh, and that's on the market already. So a lot of stuff is uh, on the horizon for making VR even cooler. And I think I'm sure that Meta's tried all of it before because 
Right. Just have like a million gajillion people working on this. Yeah, yeah. I don't think micro OLED displays are new or that kind of thing. But um, yeah, you're right. You're right that on the processing side of things, like they don't necessarily have the chip. They don't have an iPhone to rely on to, to do the initial face scanning and whatever. So uh, I read about the audio experience where, you know, you're using your iPhone to like literally 3D model your ears so that the spatial audio adapts to your ear shape, which sounds excessive but probably makes things sound very nice <laughs> yeah although you could do this with facebook as well like facebook could do this as well they true but I'm t- build an iphone app and tell you to i think but, you're right but it's a little but more yeah, baked yeah. in yeah 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 okay yeah. um uh we have to get to the topic of honor um which i don't know this is pretty interesting like honor is probably oh, a report this week came out with, with a bunch of data and, and from counterpoint and it said Honor is probably the most winning OEM at the moment, and probably the only Chinese manufacturer that's actually expanding. Um, and the numbers are from a low base, but it doesn't matter. Like this, they're still growing, like from year on year growth, like at least fourfold. Um, and so, so Honor four hundred percent outside of China is what they're growing. Right. Thanks for that clarification. So Honor does seem to be stepping in where Huawei stepped out. Um, I'll, I'll, let me, I'll talk about the reasons from the report and then you can just say a bunch of stuff um, about like what it means. But So the flagship smartphones are doing well in France, Germany, the UK. So that's the Magic 4 Pro. The mid-tier Honor 50, uh, sorry, so the Honor 50 was the old mid-tier. The Honor 70 drove a lot of volume in, in Europe. Uh, and then the Budget X series um, has done well in like Eastern Europe and Italy and whatever where people are just trying to get a, uh, a little phone that's that does a lot for low money. So, um, and the other report you actually linked me to this is um, one of the sort of flashy stars of Indian mobiles, which is Madhav Sheth, um, who's been a Realme person for years and I've met a few times. He might switch to Honor India rather than Realme um, as the mo- Indian mobile market like chops and changes pretty violently and has been for a little while. So, um, is this good? <laughs> I think... I think it's very impressive. It means that they have found success in all three niches, so flagship, mid-range, and low-end. Uh, it means that they are expanding into India aggressively because they hired kind of like the face of Realme India, um, who was very experienced and I suppose very good at his job because Realme was very successful in India. Uh, India is one of the only markets that Huawei had not had particularly big success in, so if they manage to crack that nut, that will be very impressive. Um, I also think, I don't know if this was uh, inevitable or not, that Honor would do well. I think it wasn't, but but in a way it was. Uh, because uh, Huawei had such a gigantic talent pool and so many resources, and, and um, they were so good at what they were doing that uh, um, if you split parts of that out uh, and you give it a new home, it's like almost inevitable that it does well. Um, so just to like kind of demonstrate how big this is, I've talked to a lot of people in the industry who work here in Europe at various uh, Chinese tech companies, and half of them came from Huawei uh, or from Honor. Um, if you, for example, in Germany, all the uh, Chinese tech companies have their headquarters in Dusseldorf. Um, and the reason why is because Huawei was the first Chinese tech company, uh, phone company to come to Germany to establish their base, and they did it in Dusseldorf. And basically the entire strategy of Oppo, Xiaomi, all of them, is just to go to Dusseldorf and to try to hire people away from Huawei. Uh, 
all their processes are modeled on those of Huawei. Uh, all their sales relationships are ones that they try to like uh, take from Huawei and, and take for themselves. And so like, this is really like the mothership of the Chinese phone industry, the, the like the absolute clear pioneer in, in both, um, I think the device uh, sense that they built a lot of core technologies that others tried to emulate, but and also in the teams and the sales structures and, and the marketing budgets and like everything, like the, everyone is trying to do what they do. So I think if you take some of that energy uh, that Huawei has lost for themselves and you put it into a new brand that still feels kind of like Huawei and it's run by the oh, same no, people. Oh, no, no, no. It's separate to Huawei. What are you talking about? It's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very separate company. It's a very separate division. Any of the phones that look exactly the same, that's just pure coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, I think um, yeah, it's, it's both surprising that they did well after Huawei was beaten up this badly, but then it's also not surprising because of just how much talent and, and resources and, and uh, everything was there that you could kind of just like repurpose and just try again. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Huawei builds good stuff, and you know you can't you can't uh, get away from that. The flagships that it that it produced are just incredible hardware devices. Um, and uh, I don't I don't want to say I miss them because uh, you know I think you can get very good options otherwise. But it's it was it was nice when Huawei was uh, competing and and doing really well, even if uh, even just to create that competition in the space at a very very large scale for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, they were like definitely like a Samsung or like an Apple who was just like relentlessly mm. uh, driving the industry forward. Yeah, yeah, and they're still there. They're still they're still very you know reasonably popular in China, but um, for understandable reasons, uh, things have waned a little in the in the West. And, and Honor is actually uh, flirting with being number one in China already. So like that's a very impressive uh, result as well. So they're doing really well in China, uh, and then now comes the international expansion apparently gotcha okay martin we have to get to the mailbag um yeah okay so someone says uh did you see apple a bunch of the like the developer talks from apple that were already recorded or whatever they mentioned xros everywhere uh apple trademarked that that name uh, a few weeks before uh, wwdc and so it's, it seems like there was a switch to vision os at the last minute so um hmm. This is, I think, this happened with the Apple Watch as well. Um, uh, I can't remember what name was going to be used, but then ev it's kind of surprised everyone that they just call it the Apple Watch rather than yeah, they was, it was supposed to be called the iWatch. iWatch, yeah, 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 right. And I think the change yeah. is last minute as well. So um, I don't know. Do you make much of that? Is it is this just classic? You know, is this an internal name that was going to be used? And then I don't know. I don't know. It's it is kind of interesting though that that. Um, the name like the, the, there was an obvious name change late and that apple was scrambling to adjust to it um, vision vision os fits better i think like uh like apple has watch os ipad OS, like it's their descriptive phone pad watch and then now you have vision like you don't have like xr or like whatever vision feels more organically apple in my opinion so they did the right call it works okay uh next question Although, you... although I have to say Vision Pro does not sound like a product name to me. Like Vision yeah. doesn't feel like an object to me. Yeah. In the way that a phone or a pad or a watch is an object, I feel like Vision is is not a product to me. So I don't like that name. But okay. anyway. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that, in that way. Um, yeah, the names just wash over me and it's like, okay. Right. Uh, well, yeah. You just get used to it anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, uh, second question. Do you own an air filter? I guess um, I guess this is topical because of the Canadian fires. And it's so, I, I, was only th- I was thinking about this. Like, it's sort of sad that we pay attention to massive wildfires because they're affecting a big city in a different country. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, air filters for things like dust, pollen, and pollutants. Is this? Are you in on I this? Don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. Should I? Should I? <laughs> I think this is one of those things where, like, I think I think in some places it's almost a necessity, and then yeah. the the Berlin side of things, it depends on where you live and if you're close to traffic and stuff. But you know, I'm reading more about people who, like, they won't live within a dis- certain distance of a like a highway because of the various, you know, like, what are those particles called? Like PM 2.5, like that stuff. Yeah, that stuff seems really bad the more you look into it. And uh, I think once you you start focusing on it, you can't get it out of your head and then you have to buy an air filter and convince yourself you're doing the right thing. But um, my, the where I live is pretty chill. Like we don't have that many cars, there's no factories or whatever. So I Mm -hmm. think it's fine. Mm -hmm. I would, maybe this, this could be something you test out. Just putting it out there. Maybe. Your health could be... You could you could grow a couple more inches and be a very... T- <laughs> you could be two meters tall after some air filter. That's that's what I've been missing, yeah. <laughs> okay, Martin. Uh, we, end the, we end our last podcast of this season with Trivia Fact Corner. And Martin, uh, this time something very silly, which is... Did you see that TSMC's uh, first factory in China has to contend with horrible traffic? I mean... This is very funny, but Bloomberg has a big report, um, and it, it kind of leans into the fact that this is very strange. But here's the quote, and I'll read it out to you. So, every morning, some of the world's top chip engineers can be found stuck in traffic on Kumamoto Prefecture's Route 30. Route it's 30. Japan, then? In Japan, yeah. I think you said China, but Japan, then. Play it back. I'm sure, I'm sure I said Japan. Or I meant to say okay, Japan. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kumamoto Prefecture. As vehicles carry heavy machinery and thousands of workers inch towards what will soon become Japan's most advanced chip hub when Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co.'s new factory goes online next year. So there's one so train Just track. for now. So yeah. It's not like once it will be built, it should be fine. Well, no, it's still like there's no roads. So basically there's one a one-track train line, which I, there's a photo of it. It just looks completely packed with people. Um, and around the factory in a place called Kikuyo. Kikuyo? Kikuyo? Yeah, something like that. Um, is rice fields. So it really seemed like TSMC decided putting a factory here because it has water abundance. <laughs> so, probably, probably a good move, yeah. Yeah, like not Arizona. Um, so things like real estate prices have ballooned. Uh, there's not enough of anyone. So if, like classrooms, there's just not enough. And there's not enough people in the town hall to even manage all this stuff. Um, there's like, they're saying like this, there'll be a new road built to solve all the problems, but it won't come online until, or come, you know, be built until 2027. So I don't know. Building it's, factories is a hard business. Maybe, maybe there's at least enough rice, but even that might not be the case. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's not all bad. Like there's huge employment and opportunities. And there's some, yeah. there's some story about someone's son deciding to go into like engineering to help, you know, work at the factory in some, some point in time. But it is kind of weird that, uh, there is a dystopian sort of element to uh, massive sub- subsidies for chip manufacturing, getting place wherever the company wants it, and then you have to build all sorts of in- infrastructure. Like these, these things are. What's the equivalent? I can't, I can't think of like, but it's like this is the new. Um, okay, Martin, you're gonna have to help me out here. This is like, hmm. 
this is like you build a spaceport in your town and then everything is massively important. The spaceport is the only thing that matters and it sucks up everyone and everything and, it, it, and it's like hugely important at a scale that nothing else is. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's a bad analogy. Yeah, kind of crazy. We saw this uh, with uh, the Tesla factory next to Berlin as well. Uh, I've, I've actually been, I had a friend who worked there as a quality control engineer. Um, and it was also Tough crazy. job, tough job at Tesla. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't work there anymore. Oh, spicy. <laughs> um, it's a, it's the same thing, right? Like it uses up a lot of the water of the surrounding areas. Uh, it's built on land that was very nice nature before, so uh, people don't like that a lot of, in a lot of cases. And as you say, it brings a lot of employment and and economic activity, but. 99% of that is not utilized by the people who live in the villages around it because like you're, I don't know, you have a job already, <laughs> you have a life already <laughs> and suddenly you get priced out of your own village and you actually don't reap any of the benefits of the uh, economic activity and for many people it's just crap and then the government has to build roads and do, you know, massive parking lots and whatever so yeah, it's a, it's a difficult difficult uh, project to balance. Mm-hmm. That's capitalism for you, baby. Whatever's we just gotta make it. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing is is um battery manufacturing. I think that's gonna be the 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 other side of things where you just get huge subsidies to put your battery manufacturing plant wherever there happens to be some sort of natural resource to be uh used and uh, away you go. My my lovely home country of Hungary is doing this exactly right now. They're building <laughs> the, the largest battery plant, I think, in all of Europe or something like this. Uh oh. And uh, it's by some Chinese company. Was it? I don't even remember who it was, but like some giant BYD factory or cattle, probably cattle, probably cattle. Yeah. Um, and uh, people are up in arms against it. Uh, I mean, people are up in arms against anything, but uh, some people are very happy about it, and some people are very sure. unhappy about sure. it. Sure. No, I'm sure if you sell your house at, you know, because you're no longer adjusting to market prices, and you sell your house for three times what it's worth. That's great, but then you got to move somewhere else and set up your life, and grandma has to come yeah. with you, and yeah, yeah. Okay, Martin, I'm going to let you sign us off this time because it is our last episode uh, of the Indeed. season. So, um, I'll, I'll say thanks, thanks to everyone for tuning in <laughs> and uh, for being part of uh, the podcast uh, for our first season. It's been quite an interesting experience to uh, get up to speed with and present um, and. You know, bring something to the table each time um, as a as sort of like the companion to the checkout. So, how's it been? I think it's been uh, very interesting. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I learned that I actually like podcasting. Uh, I also uh, want to thank you for hosting it so far. Um, we'll kind of get back into our caves, do some creative thinking on what we could do better, worse, uh, different, same. Uh, and then uh, if we have a good idea for how to do season two, uh, feel free to recommend one as well. Uh, then we might launch season two as well. We'll see about that. Um, it's been a great time. And uh, I guess we'll see you in the Friday checkout from now on. Bye.